Hey, we're in a series of lessons. We said there's going to be two weeks just before we come into Good Friday and our Easter services. And uh, just uh, we're looking at some scriptures last week and again this week with this phrase. We just said it, that God is able. Well, whatever you're facing, you have to, when you read the Bible, you're going to find very early on that God will do things that no man can do. God caused a man named Abraham and Sarah who it was impossible for them to have a child. God allowed them to have a child after 25 years. We see that God worked through Moses with those, with those 10 plagues. And, and then we saw the Red Sea parting where God was able to do something that was impossible to do as they went across on not muddy ground, but dry ground. And then Pharaoh came that the waters in were, as they were congealed, they were uncongealed and, and they, their enemy drowned instantly. God was able in an instant to wipe out what, what was 430 years of oppression. Think about it. Everybody, your great-grandparents, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were always in bondage, always in chains, always making bricks and mortar for, for a wicked king. And yet instantly, God changed that around. Listen, God is able to do what he said he'd do. We found it last week from Ephesians 3.20. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all you can ask or think. So my prayer to you would be start asking for big things. Start thinking big things because whatever you can ask, whatever you can think from the word of God and along with God's word and will for your life, he is able to do it exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all you ask or think or hope or dare to dream or desire, the scripture says. So we have to be people, if we're going to see the miraculous, if we're going to see signs and wonders, we have to lean in with the thought that God is able. He's able. No matter what you've experienced up until now, God is able. Every no you've had up until now, Tomorrow, you might get a yes because God is able. A uh, little quick testimony. Uh, our son, our, our second son, Jude, uh, he works at Costco right up here on 8th Street. And he's been working there for years. He decided that he didn't want to teach. And he got his teachers. Uh, he went to school to teach. And he just didn't want to do that, teach Spanish. And so for right now, he's working at Costco and just said, I want to, I want to be here. I like it here. I want to keep moving up. Well, so like, like as a good dad, I keep telling him, like, you know, hey, wherever you're at, that's just entry level. Wherever you're at, that's not where you're staying at. Because we don't stay where we start. We always increase. Come on, somebody. We don't stay where we start. We always increase. And so look for opportunity. Come early. Stay late. You know, be smart. Be, be kind. Be respectful. Keep asking the bosses around you what you can do and how you can increase and how you can improve. And uh, um, uh, so he, he, like we told all our kids, whenever there's a job posting something, you, you, you take it. You go to that. You, you talk about it. You fill out the application because whether you get the job or not, you're going to gain something you can't if you sit on your duff, which is called experience. And it's going to get your face before people and managers and, and everybody else. And so, and so he's gone through, he went through a four or five uh, interview pro, interviews to, to, for an, a higher position. And a lot more, man, you, you're great. We love you, but, but no, no. And, and, you know, after kind of, we, we've got some people, we've got one, one uh, person uh, particularly in, in the church that does some cold calls, goes on the houses and, and knocks on doors. In fact, it's Jack. He sells solar. And Jack's killing it selling solar. But how many know every door you knock on, you're going to get turned down about 20 times and so you got to have the skin of an armadillo come on somebody 
Uh, and so I told, you know, Jude would come home sometimes and he'd just say, you know, hey, you know, I didn't get it and kind of have a little bum. I said, brother, it ain't over. Come on, just keep being faithful. Just keep. So, so he actually went for an interview a couple days ago, this past Thursday, at another location, another at Costco. And um, uh, uh, he, he got a call from the, the manager and said, hey, I want to tell you, you interviewed great, but, you know, you're a great guy, but we gave the job to somebody else. And so he told us that. That was on Friday. He told us that. And he said, I didn't get the job. And uh, I said, well, hey, that's okay. Come on, man. Come on, God's still able. He's still working. Come on, there's other opportunities. And so after he got the no, later that day, that same boss called him and said, there's been a change. We're not going to hire that guy. We're giving it to you. And I'm like, praise the Lord. That brother's rent just went up. He's living with us. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just, just. I'm really not, but I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just saying that God is able to, even if you got a no, even if you got a bad report, God's able to flip that. God is able. Man. So our job is to keep hope alive. Our job is to have an expectation. Today's my day. Put me in, coach. Today's my day. Today could be a day that everything just breaks through, breaks out in my life. Today's the day where I get the call. Today's the day where, where, where the, 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 the prognosis, the diagnosis just reverses. Today's the day. Today's the day of my miracle. Come on, whatever it is, let hope rise in your heart. Come on, everybody, that God is able. Let's look at four scriptures today if we've got time, which we do. Um, and uh, uh, we'll get, let you out before one. But... Um, just seeing if you're paying attention, just seeing. We're going to look at four scriptures that specifically talk about this, that God is able. If you weren't here with us last week, I encourage you to go on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and uh, you can look at these other four scriptures we talked about last week. Let's pick up some new ones today. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, this is a great scripture as we talk about Resurrection Sunday, Easter coming up. Therefore, it was necessary for him, him meaning Jesus, to be made, check it out, in every respect like us. Jesus was made in every respect like you. His brothers and sisters, his men and women, his sons and daughters. So that, so that, because of, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, you and me. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, come on, shout it out with me, he is able to help us. He's able to help us when we are being tested. You will be tested regularly, repeatedly, consistently, diligently, not by God, but you will be tested. You will be relegated to take the exam of life over and over and over and over. You will go through sufferings. You will go through difficulties. You will go through tests. You will go through challenges. 
You will go through people being in your corner and turning their back on you while they're in your corner. You will go through loss. You will go through frustration. You will go through neglect. You will go through a lot of no's. You will go through some abuse, physical, verbal, emotional. You're going to go through it. The sufferings, the testings, the trials, the trauma, the drama of life come to everybody. But this scripture says Jesus went through it as a man so you can go through everything you're dealing with. He is able, the scripture says, to come to your aid. He's able to help you when you are being tested. He was misunderstood. He was forgotten. Everybody that said, listen to me, his who's who, his 12, his three, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, they left him. John was there for a bit at the cross, but everybody left him. He knows what it means to be ghosted. He knows what it means to have a post on social media and nobody gave you a like. <laughs> wow. He's our merciful, it said, and faithful high priest. He is able to help you and me in every test we go through. I love it in the Amplified. Look at this translation here. It's just a beautiful part of this word. For because he himself, in his humanity, in his humanity, not his divinity, in his humanity, has suffered in being tempted, tested, and tried. Check out these words. He is able. When? Immediately. 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 Every time you cry out to God, listen to me, whether you see it, sense it, feel it, anything changes, there is an immediate response from God. God is not, this is a double negative, but he's not not paying attention to you. He is always paying attention to you. He always hears you. He always listens to your cry. He is um, able immediately to run to the cry of, assist and relieve those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. You're being exposed to suffering. You're going through testing and trial. You, got, you filled out five applications or you take those, you know, try, trying to move up the, the, the corporate ladder, whatever it is, and it's no, 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 no. And you're suffering. You want to provide more for your family. You want to give more. You want to be more generous. You want to, you want to do something in the kingdom of God. And it seems like there's no opportunity. Or, or I was through a divorce and, and my husband left me and I got nobody. And I was married and my wife left me. And now I've, I've got to raise kids by myself. And how? How am I going to do it? He knows what you're going through. He's coming to your side immediately, the scripture says, to give you aid and to help you when you cry out. You don't have to go through it alone. Jesus was made like us to suffer as us so he could deliver us. You know, over the course of the years, I don't know how we can read the Bible and come to any other conclusion, but there are those that I've come across that somehow believe that just because you're a Christian, you're never going to suffer in this life. 
you're not going to have any difficulties. That somehow the Spirit of God in you, somehow the Word of God in you, somehow your mountain-moving faith is going to remove the mountain of suffering. Listen to me, friends. That is just not so. There is going to be things that you go through that are, 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 are uh, uh, we would say, that are just under the curse of sin under the earth and we live in the earth, that Christ has redeemed us from, but we are going to go through suffering. We're going to go through things that just don't make any sense, testings, trials, difficulties. Now, what we know from this scripture that we just read is that suffering is not from God. It is here in the earth because of the curse of man. The curse of sin. Adam and Eve's initial sin is what brought separation between man and God. And the curse then spread throughout the entire earth. Thorns are growing in the earth. Darkness pervaded the earth. And we're finding out what's going on now. It's getting worse and worse and worse until Jesus came. But how many know where sin abounds, grace does much more abound? Can somebody say amen to that? Suffering isn't from God, listen to me, suffering is allowed by God. Suffering is supposed to drive us to God, to his grace, to, for us to receive from a merciful and a faithful high priest. Suffering isn't allowed to drive us away from God, it's to open up a door to draw us to God you got to think right about suffering. you got to think right about the test. you got to think right about this. In the book of Exodus, we made a mention a moment ago about Moses and the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments. In the book of Exodus, is really kind of interesting, well, the, the, the preamble to the plagues and the Red Sea and all that. Uh, the nation of Israel, we said it a moment ago, was in bondage for 430 years. After you read Genesis, then you come to the book of Exodus. And, and Joseph then was there. He was alive. He was used by God. And, and the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine, and, and God used him miraculously to save Egypt, but really to save his own family. But then centuries later, years later, the, the children of Israel are multiplying the land. The Pharaoh said, man, there's more of them than us. What we're going to do is we're going to put them in bondage. We're going to make them work for us. We're going to enslave them. And that's exactly what he did. It was 430 years, and the Bible says the people were just in bondage. The people were getting beaten. The people were being ostracized. The people were being whipped. The people were being abused. The people weren't living like the Egyptians were living. And the scripture says this in Exodus chapter 3. Check it out, verse 7 and 8. The Lord says this to Moses as Moses cries out to God. He says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And he says, for I know their sorrows. Wow. So he says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at what God's intention is. Look what God's ambition is. Look what God's desire is them, even though they can't see it, even though they can't feel it. This is God's desire for you. This is God's desire for your children, for your grandchildren, that God would bring you up into a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land with produce, a land with resources, a land where, where God's working in you and your, you and your kids and your grandkids are seeing the goodness of the Lord. This is God's will for every believer that you and I live in a good land. We live fruitful. We live abundant. We live in peace. We live in the joy of the Holy Spirit. We live righteous before God in an unrighteous society. Come on, everybody. 
So he heard their cry. Look what this says. He says, man, I, I've heard. I've seen. Look, look, look at these words there. He says, I have seen. Check this out. Look, notice this. I think we got it. It's going to come up. I think it's coming. No. Let's put that next slide there real quick. Let's see what it says. I've come down to deliver them out. Let's go back there real quickly. Look at this. Let's go back to verse 8. I have come down. Can you imagine God coming down to talk to man? God intervening, this is before Jesus, in a burning bush with a man named Moses and having communication with him and telling him what he's going to do and showing him his goodness before anything happens. How many know that Moses, even though he's been raised, he was raised in Pharaoh's house, Moses is looking at this going, I don't know how you could do this. I don't know how you could change this situation. There has been centuries of suffering, centuries of separation between what we see, what we believe, our heart for a good God, and not enjoying it ourselves. God says four things to Moses. And listen, if you're suffering today, if you're going through a test, a challenge, a difficulty today, I pray these four things you'd see the goodness of God in the middle of it all. He says, number one, I've seen the oppression. I've seen the oppression. I've seen what's come against you. Listen, God sees. He says, I've heard their cry. I've heard the cry of the people. I've, I've, I've heard your cry. God hears. He sees, he hears. And he says, I, I know their sorrows. I know, listen to me, make it personal. God knows your sorrow. God knows what's going on in your life. And he says, I'm not, I'm, I'm not satisfied with just seeing, not just satisfied with hearing, and not satisfied with knowing. Even though God Almighty is that. But he says, I'm going to do something about it. I have come down to deliver them out and to bring them up. Listen to me. God moves. God sees. God hears. God knows. God moves. God is able, no matter what you're facing, no matter what it looks like right now, no matter what sorrow, no matter what test, no matter what difficulty you're dealing with right now, God is able to get you out of that and to bring you into a large land, a good land that flows with milk and honey. God's able to do something in your life that hasn't happened up until now. Let your faith rise today that God is able. Come on, somebody. What we know from this is that God never leaves you where he finds you. Just never leaves you. Never leaves you where he finds you. You might think everybody left you, which maybe they did. The sorrow you're going through could be relational. The sorrow, sorrow you could be going through could be mental. The sorrow you could be going through could be emotional. Whatever it is, whatever it is, 
the testing, the challenge, the difficulty, the trial that you're going through. God sees, God hears, God knows, and God is able to get you out of that situation. He came down 2,000 years ago through a person called Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he knows how to get you out of whatever you got yourself in or whoever put you in it. God will always be available and active in your and my behalf. Can somebody say amen and amen? Come on, God is able to help you. Come on, say God is able. God is able. Come on, let's look at this second scripture. We're giving you just a tidbit. Last week we gave you four. Let's give you four more. I love this verse because it talks about giving. I love to give. I was raised by a giving mom and dad. In fact, my mom's 88 in June. And one of my, I think, I, I don't know if I told you or not, but my, my mom, uh, uh, she, she's, just to protect her, uh, my older brother who lives there, he's a year older than me, and, and he had to take her checkbook from her and pay all her bills just to make sure that she didn't get a phone call while she's there by herself and someone tried to Take all her money. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Because my mom is just generous. All my life, I would see my mom sit at her little desk, and she would write, she would write the 10 to 12 missionaries a check every single month. I would, I would see my mom, because my mom was in charge to pay the bills. And she would, she would pay the house payment. She'd do all that. And she had grocery money. And she would you know, bring clothes to us as kids and stuff like that. But, but she, would always, she would always tithe first. And she would always then, then write the missionaries the check back in the day when we used to write checks. Uh, how many people still write checks? checks. Give a hoo-hoo up in the room. Woo. Uh, uh, but we generally do everything online now. But uh, 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 just, just generosity, just generosity. And, and I, I, was, I was raised in that. And so giving has never been a difficult thing for me. Uh, maybe you were raised in an environment where, where there was a whole lot of lack and a whole lot of shortage and a whole lot of insufficiency and a whole lot of, you know, nobody, you know, you just couldn't have anything. And, and, and believe me, there have been times in Cameron in our life when we first got married married, and we, we had some difficult days with just, just debt and some all kinds of things like that. But, but let me tell you what, if you'll just stay on God's side, God will always be on your side. And you and I have the opportunity, listen to me, to partner with God. God says, I'm going to partner with you, Gary. All you got to do is just trust me. Trust me. You're the manager of all the stuff I give you, and, and you don't own it. I'm going I'm to let you manage it. I'm, I'm going to let you manage it. I'm going to talk to you, but if you follow my principles, if, if you follow what's in the book, better than Warren Buffett, better than Warren Buffett, one of the greatest investors of all time, better than Charlie Munger, one of the greatest investors of all time, uh, greater than Elon Musk, you know, doing SpaceX or whatever, and doing Tesla, and greater than Jeff Bezos on Amazon, greater, better return, way better return. If you'll follow what's in the book, you are guaranteed to live a blessed life. Who, who would not take that pill? Who would not sign up for that course? Yet I'm amazed at Christians who don't get it. So let me just show you how you can get it. Here's the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Paul says this to the church of Corinth. Here it is. And God is able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to you in abundance. Does anybody in the room, would you love to have all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to you? Mm -hmm. So that you may always, under all circumstances, and whatever the need, be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid 
or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Every person you want to give to, every church you want to give to, everything that God puts on your heart, you got some extra cash that you can, you can support the poor, you can do something in Egypt, you can do this over here with that person, and you can tie the local church, you can pay your rent, you can pay your house payment, you can pay the car payment, you can do SDG&E and Otai Water and Cox Cable, and a little Netflix. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Possessing enough to require no aid or support. In context, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in chapter 8 and 9 about how this church can partner with God in the grace of God concerning their finances. If the grace of God is so amazing, amazing grace... How sweet the sound. Shouldn't it be amazing in this area as well? Scripture says it is. Paul actually told in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he told the Corinthians, I'm going to send Titus to you, the preacher named Titus, and he's going to talk to you about this grace that I've already explained to you, how you can partner with God. He says to this church in chapter 8, he says that this church at Corinth was in such a great trial and difficulty concerning their finances. Paul says they were in deep poverty, deep poverty. They were lacking. There was, there was lack in their own life, but they decided to look at their life and to say, if God has been good to us, even in a challenging time, even in inflation, even in whatever, even in high gas prices, we're going to believe God and we are going to trust God. Can I get an amen in the room? They tapped into God's ability. Why? Because God is able to make all grace abound towards us. So why would we ever pull back concerning our future if we believe that God is able to do what he said he would do? Listen to me. What we know from 2 Corinthians 8, what we know from 2 Corinthians 9, what we know from what we just read a moment ago from Hebrews chapter 2 is this. God didn't bring the trial. God didn't bring the suffering. But God used the trial and God used the suffering. They were suffering. And God says, I'm going to use the suffering of the deep poverty. I'm going to use the suffering of you can't find a job. I'm going to... Do you know that they tell us now that statistically, the people that are the most generous generally have the least? You would think it'd be different. You would think that the millionaires or the multimillionaires or the billionaires would be percentage-wise the most generous. Do you know that statistically that is just not so? So let me encourage you. If you're going through a trial, if you're going through a difficulty concerning your finances, number one, you got to know that God is able. He's able to make all grace abound toward you. He's able to make every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance. So that you, right now, it might not look like it, but right now, that no matter what circumstance, whatever you're going through, that God will get you out of where you currently are. But listen to me. The caveat is you got to tap into that grace. The only way you tap into this grace is you have to become a giver. You have to, you have to plant seed. You have to plant seed. You have to sow seed. The farmer would be crazy if the farmer said, 
I'm going to get a harvest this year. And his buddy would say, what are you planting? I'm not planting anything. He'd say, you've been on that wacky sauce again, haven't you? Listen to me. Paul tells us, if you sow abundantly, you're going to reap abundantly. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. He tells them, you need to give cheerfully from your heart. And then he says, God is able to give you immeasurably more than you currently have. This church at Corinth moved from lack to abundance by cooperating with God being able to show his grace and his power and his mercy and his favor in their finances. Let me tell you what, let me encourage you, let me encourage you, let me encourage you. You need to sign up and participate in the plan of tithing, being generous, sacrificing, and giving offerings. You need to sign up for that plan. The top 10% doesn't go to me, doesn't go to my savings account. It goes to God. Offerings after that, missionaries and things that we want to give to, it goes next. If you align your heart with God, listen to me, you will start seeing God's grace and his ability in your resources in a new and a special way. I don't care if you're 18, 16, or 88, God will be faithful to you because the seed doesn't know what color you are, what gender you are. We won't go there. Uh, but, and the seed, the seed don't care how old you are, what gender you are, or how long you've been doing whatever you've been doing. If you plant seed, it's going to come up. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, say it with me. God's able. I want to partner with that. I want, to, I want to see that happen in a new way. I want to see it. So guess what? I'm going to keep planting seed. Keep planting seed. And let me encourage you. Don't ever judge somebody's harvest until you know the seed they planted. How could they live there? How could they have those shoes? How could they drive that? You don't know what they planted. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Which brings us to these last two scriptures that really talk about that. Romans 14, 4. God is able. Check it out. Paul writes to the church and he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand. Why? For the Lord, come on, help me out with that, is able to make them stand. Paul writes, and he's specifically talking about, you know, food offered to idols and all that in, in chapter 14 and what the church was dealing with. Should we eat this food? Should we drink this stuff? It was offered to idols, and what should we do with this? And how, does, how do we handle this as believers now? And, and, and do, do we, you know, because there was crazy stuff going on in the church there in Rome and, and you know, mythology, Greek worship, all kinds of stuff, and sexual perversion. And so Paul was talking about how they should handle certain situations, but, but he comes to this thing and he says, listen, uh, uh, you, you, you are now, you got to be careful for yourself that you don't look at somebody and judge them in the current situation they are in. And, and probably, I think we're all in, uh, on the same board here, probably, you know, all could agree online as well, that uh, Christianity, Christians as a general rule across the board, haven't quite had the A-plus character when it came to not judging. 
not judging. Years ago, I tell the story regularly, forgive me because I've told it multiple times. When I was a heathen living at home with my parents, we were raised in church our whole life. I knew all the stories, did it all, but me and my three, bro- me and my two brothers decided we just didn't want to sign up for the program right now during our uh, high school years, junior high years, and so we all got involved in drugs and, and sex drugs and rock and roll. Come on, somebody say, help them Jesus, right? Help them Jesus. And, and so my mom and dad went to doing what parents, godly parents would do, which would be prayer. And so they would regularly have prayer meetings at our house. And uh, uh, we, we, we were a mess. Me and my brothers were, were just a mess. And uh, uh, my mom and dad uh, had, a, had a prayer meeting, had a prayer party at our house one night, unbeknownst to me. And, and this is back in the day when prayer meetings at the house were the thing. And, and they, they would pray all the time. And they'd pray long, and they'd pray loud, and they didn't care. I mean, I'm talking about prayer meeting at the house. I'm not talking about three or four people. I'm talking about 30, 40 people at your house. That's what I'm talking, back in the day. And, and, and so I, I came home in a messed up mind, and, and I came down our little hill, and I, drove, and I saw all these cars. I mean, I mean, it seemed like hundreds, but it wasn't, but a ton of cars outside my house. And I'm going, oh, dear God, my stinking parents are having another one of those prayer meetings. And I'm messed up, smoked up, jacked up, eyes bloodshot. I'm, I'm smelling like I've been where I've been. And, and um, I came in the back where we parked, or back in the back of the house, and I walked through a sliding glass door, and I opened up the sliding glass door, and there was Pastor Rodney, 1977. Messed up Gary, Pastor Rodney, face to face. And he says, Gary, how you doing? And he gave me this big old bear hug. And I'm just going, I know you smell me. I know you see my eyes. I know you know where I've been and what I'm doing. And he hugged me just, I'm going to tell you, I love you. And I... I'm 62, and I still remember that. Because he didn't sit there and look at me with some disgusting eyes. He didn't look me up, look me down, smell me, just say, you sinner, you heathen. He just hugged me. Come on, listen to me. Sometimes your messed up kids and your friends just need a hug. The book of Job the brother Job, let's just say this, was probably the contender for this verse. He was demonically attacked and assaulted, uh, suffered enormous loss. His, his family, his kids all died in a crazy, crazy, you know, read it in chapter 1, chapter 2. Financially lost all his stuff to his enemies, came in there, took all his stuff. Uh, a physical, he was attacked physically, boils on his life. And, and he has some friends, and his friends... When you read the whole chapter, there's like 42 chapters. It'll take you a minute to read it, but it's an interesting, I encourage you to do it. His friends had this great idea that the reason all this stuff came to you is because God is judging you. You did something to tick off God. Listen to me. He was being assaulted by the devil. Yet the church was telling him, you're being assaulted and suffering because you did something to tick off God. Let, let me encourage you, especially now. COVID has just messed up a lot of people the last two years. Just our thinking's changed. Listen to me. Can I tell you this? You, me, everybody has changed. Everybody's changed. And if we're not people who give people grace and mercy, 
and love and kindness and compassion, where else are they going to get it? This, this brother is a, is a poster child, Job, for somebody that's gone through things and yet that were demonic and the pressure that came against him. But at the end, we see that God reversed it and blessed the brother with two times what he lost. So let me just encourage you. We just can't afford to be people who judge other people. Y'all know King David, David and Goliath. It's known, the story is known everywhere. It's a sports story. The little school beating the big school. David beating Goliath. But what a lot of people don't know is that the brother, after he got big and maybe a little bit proud, the brother saw Bathsheba, another man's wife, and he wanted her, called her to the king's bedchamber, slept with her. She became pregnant because of that event. And David then wanted to hide his tracks. The scripture says that David had a plan. He got Bathsheba, the woman, her husband, Uriah, who was a warrior. He said, here's what I want to do. He told his captains and officers, send him to the front of the battlefield and pull back all the support. And the enemy's arrows came and they killed Uriah. And David thought, I'm clean. I'm clean. All my tracks are covered. But the Bible says God sent a prophet named Nathan to him. Nathan the prophet came and said, David, David. <laughs> and gave him a parable. And told him about what he did. That God read his mail. And you know what David's response was? He didn't buff up and he didn't pull, puff up and say, you got the wrong guy, you're lying. No, he, he repented right there. He repented. The scripture calls David the man who killed another, another person. He didn't pull the arrow, but he gave the command. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. How can that be? Not because he was perfect, but because he was repentant. You don't know what's in someone's heart. You don't know the prayers they prayed. You don't know the tears that they've cried. You just don't know. So the scripture is real clear. Scripture tells us, as the people of God, don't judge. Just don't judge. Again, I'll just say this, and I've been saying it for a while. I said it again, I'm going to tell you one more time. COVID's messed up a lot of people. There have been a lot of people in, in that are pastors, what I do. They're, they're no longer around because of the pressure and what they did and maybe they did something that they shouldn't have done. But the scripture tells us, don't judge. Just don't judge. One of my mentors years ago told me that, you know, the Lord really spoke to him that concerning a certain situation that everybody, all his pastor friends were judging somebody that actually fell into some sin and he said, the Lord really impressed on his heart that if you were in the same situation, if you were under that kind of demonic attack, you would have done the same thing. That kind of like caused him to think, 
about what my stand needs to be concerning anybody that's gone through anything. I'm just not going to judge. Why? Because the scripture says that God is able to make them stand. God is able to make the fallen, the broken, the hurting person stand again. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it's somebody online. Maybe people have judged you. Maybe people have looked sideways at you because of something that you've gone through. Listen to me. God is able to make you stand again. God's faithful. God's faithful. Come on, let me just give you one more scripture. We're going to close it. Come on, time's running away. But right along with this scripture, there's just one last scripture I want to give you. It's in the, the book of Jude. It's got one chapter. It's verse 24. Uh, Jude says this. He says, all glory to God who's able to keep you from falling away. I love this scripture. God is able to keep you from falling away. And, and he will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. What a great, this scripture has been such a source of encouragement to me that no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what it looks like right now, that God is able to keep you from falling away into, into an activity and a lifestyle of sin that would draw you further and further away from God. We know that Jesus tells this parable in Mark chapter 4 about the parable of the sower that sows the seed. And he says, he says uh, this seed grew up and it, the, the, these weeds grew up around the seed and it began to choke out the seed that was the, 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 the gospel seed. And, and yet this, this other weed type of seed overcame it and choked it out. And he tells us what it was. He says it's, a, it's the cares of life. He says the, the deceitfulness of money and just the, the lust and desire for other things more than God, more than church, more than the people of God just kept growing up and it, and, and, and it caused this person to fall away. Cause them to leave God. I mean, we know that Paul had a guy named Demas who was with him, and he, he, he loved the present world, the Scripture says, and left Paul. We don't know if the brother ever came back. But the Scripture tells us here that God is able to keep you from falling away. Now listen to me. you got to participate with this. i got to participate with this. So if God's going to keep me from falling away, i got to say, yes, Lord. And when I sin, I've got to... Be quick to repent. I gotta be quick to forgive. I gotta be quick for my heart to come back to God, or else I could drift and you could too. Nobody does something crazy instantly. It's it's a progressive and it's a wearing away and it's a it's the wave of the sin, the ocean, if you will, comes against the shore of your life and it drives the sand away until there's no more buffer to it and, and somebody just gives in. But the Bible says. God's able to keep you from falling away. What, 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 how? My, my daily disciplines, the things you do every day by reading the word, by prayer, by coming around the people of God, getting a small group, uh, guarding yourself. Come on, come on, don't, 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 don't slip somebody a little DM. Don't, if you're married, get away from all that. Watch your eyes, watch your life, watch your money, watch your ambition, watch your heart. If you'll do that, God will keep you from falling away in a lifestyle that's unproductive. And if you have, listen to me, if you have in the room or online, don't, don't turn to the scripture, but just listen to me. <laughs> Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Five days from now that we celebrate. It's Good Friday. Not good for him. It's not good for him. It's good for us. Everybody left him. He's in Pilate's court. 
There's a dude out there warming himself by the fire named Peter, and he's denying Jesus three times. And a rooster crows. And Peter remembers the words of Jesus that said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. The scripture says Peter looks at Jesus. They had eye contact. My God. My God. I don't believe the eye contact of Jesus to Peter was, I can't believe you did this to me. I believe the eye contact was, I still love you. You deserted me. The prophecy came true. But we're all good here. Because Jesus actually tells Peter in Luke 22. And he says, Peter, Satan's desired. He's desired you. He wants to sift you like wheat. But check it out. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And he says, when you turn, I've prayed for you that you wouldn't fail. And when you return, when you turn, I'm going to use you to strengthen your brethren. Phenomenal scripture. Jesus is praying for you that you don't fail, that you don't live an unproductive life. But if you've denied the Lord, if you've turned your back, if you've done your own thing, if you're in known sin right now, Peter denies him three times. And yet, a couple days later, a couple days later, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And God uses Peter and 3,000 people get saved. I wonder if Peter would have been in church in San Diego in 2022. And we knew that Peter denied Jesus 10, 12 days earlier, 50 days earlier, if we would ever let him be used by God again. But Jesus says, I prayed for you, Peter. I prayed for you. I prayed that Satan wouldn't sift you like wheat. I heard one preacher say this, is that Peter might have failed, but his faith didn't fail. His faith caused him to turn back to God and say, um, forgive me, forgive me. All glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and bring you into his glorious presence without a single fault. God is good, everybody. Come on. Come on, he's just good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just good. Come on, all over the room, bow your head, close your eyes, online as well. Come on, God's able to do all kinds of things. He's able to make you stand. He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to redeem your life. God's able to make all grace abound towards you. God's able. He's able. So, Father, we just pray for every person in the room today, no matter what they're facing, no matter what they're going through, that your goodness, your grace, your favor, your mercy, we read it. You're a merciful and a faithful high priest. 
You stand before the Father God right today, and you're praying for us, we found out last week. You're interceding for the church, for the people of God. So, Father, I pray I join my prayers with your prayer, Jesus, that you're able to make us stand. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond we can ask a thing. You're able to work in our lives and move in our lives in amazing ways. You're able to do what no man can do. So, Father, today, I pray if there are those in the room who have fallen away, those who have left, Father, as we read from Exodus, you're a God who sees. You're a God who hears. You're a God who knows. And you're a God who has come down through the person Jesus Christ to bring us into new life. I pray, Lord God, every heart that's away from you, every heart that's distant from you, today is a day. They're brought near by the very blood of Jesus. Let faith rise in our hearts, O God, today I pray. Let us partake of your goodness and your mercy to forgive and save us, to heal us, to bless us, to deliver us from the effects of sin, from the curse on this earth, from the suffering we're dealing with. You are able to save us to the uttermost, anyone who cries out to you. So Father, all across the room and online, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray it here and online as well. By just an upraised hand, you're just saying, Pastor Gary, that's me. Include me in this prayer. There's going to be a spiritual transaction that happens. God's going to come into your life in a new and a special way. You're going to sense him. You're going to know that. Pray this prayer with us as we pray it out loud in just a second. You online as well, wherever you're at, hearing this. Let your faith rise up to say, I want God. I need Jesus. I want to make a change. I want him in my life. Come on, all over the room when I count to three, upraised hand, you say, that's me. Include me in that prayer. Come on, one, two, three, all over the room. Just raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. See a couple hands, three hands. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You online as well. You that raised your hand, come on, pray this out loud. We're all going to pray it out loud. Glory to God. God's going to do something amazing in your life. He's going to save you. Hallelujah. You'll be a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away. All things are going to become new right now. It's going to be a new day for you. Come on, say it with me. Pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you right now in Jesus' name. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So I believe in my heart and I say with my mouth, God raised Jesus from the dead. Be my Lord and Savior forever and ever. I repent. I change my mind. I change my direction. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Come on, our tradition is that we stand up and we clap real big for everybody that prayed that prayer. You three that are in the room, online as well. Come on, let's let them hear us this morning, everybody. Come on, Jesus is Lord.